generation dwells here. And then we moving by the pack, so we moving them. And even if you don't, then you do, cause you cool with them. They be like, I only went to school with them. Welcome to Color Correction, a Jesus y podcast about race and faith from the perspective of an Asian guy, a black girl, and a white guy, too. My name is Andrew. I'm Asian. I use he, him pronouns. And my name's Bethany. I'm black, and I use she, her pronouns. My name's Chris. I'm white. I use he, him pronouns. So we like to start off our podcast by talking about stuff that we mentioned before or that we want to correct from previous episodes. So (laughs) my correction is from our Juneteenth episode. In that episode, I alleged that uh, Snow Allegra, who's a really amazing singer that I enjoy, is not only white, but super white. Like uh-huh. Swedish white. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those were your words. <laughs> Which, um, yeah, to me, like Finland, Denmark, Sweden, that's like extra white. You know, that's like extra credit white. Um, but she is not. Uh, I think I read that she was Persian and I translated that into Armenian in my head. And the Kardashians are Armenian and I consider them to be white. So I made Snow Allegra white as well, but Mm. she's not. She's Iranian. Uh Thanks for showing your work. (laughs) (laughs) The the race proof, like mathematic proof of her race. Uh, I I feel like you just Um, set yourself up for a correction next week too. Are you you sure that the, are the Kardashians Armenian? Oh, I know for a fact they're Armenian. But are the Kardashians white? Right. They (laughs) act white enough. (laughs) it's so interesting that whole region of the world is just so like are syrians white you know are are persians white it's like on the census they are arabs are considered white but beth when you said that snow allegra like i like that you were into her and i should check her out also that she's white i like looked her up and i was really confused i was like she doesn't look swedish (laughs) <laughs> so like she didn't read as white to me so then i like went down this rabbit hole of looking down what she is um and i guess she it doesn't look white and yeah. i when somebody told me that she was white i was i grieved yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i was like uh-huh. how could this soulful woman that looks so much like sade how could she be white mm-hmm. but she's not she's iranian yeah. and i I think I consider Armenians white before I would consider an Iranian white. But what is this? What does that say about our like American construct of whiteness? Yeah. There's so many layers to this, but the yeah. woman ain't white. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting correction. Mm-hmm. I yeah. I appreciate you pointing it out. I um, forgot that I had said that in that episode. Okay. We like to read what people have sent to us, questions and comments and stuff. We have an email here from a listener who sent it to our circlemobilizing at gmail.com account. Um, And basically, he says, um, hi, Bethany. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Chris. I noticed in a few episodes you talk about how Asian people will sometimes adopt black culture because of the white-black dichotomy in the U.S. I was wondering if you think this is because black people in America have created a culture that begins as African culture mixed with slavery and have maintained a culture largely marked by the struggle for liberation. Uh, I'm a white guy and acknowledge I'm heavily speculating. I wonder if that's why for other marginalized groups in black in America, black culture is so attractive. And he goes on to, to, to think about um, 
ways in which he feels marginalized and maybe that's why he feels a connection to black culture. Uh, and I thought this was an interesting question. I mean, Beth, what do you think? Yeah, I think that was a really interesting point when when he read that. He specifically pointed out um, a learning disability that he has and how um, the workforce and the classroom is not structured for somebody that has the energy of um, ADHD. I can't remember exactly what that stands for. Um, and I thought that was an interesting point, but the... I think the first thought that popped in my mind was, hmm, maybe people do connect with marginalization and like a need um, to feel humanity. And then my second thought was, but everybody want to be black until it's time to be black. Hmm. Um, and I think I feel that way about Snow Allegra too. Like <laughs> people access blackness for all the goodness that you obtain from it. Like getting to do a nice little two-step and a bop and date Michael Bay Jordan, hmm. Snow. But then, you know, when the cops uh, show up someplace or then when you when I think if you can ever take blackness or marginalization off, you need to recognize how much privilege you you have as well and focus mm. on all of the privilege that you yeah. have. So I think it's very real to connect with um, the call for freedom that black culture always exerts. Um, but yeah. If you if you can get some freedom, you probably have a lot of privilege. Does that make sense what I'm saying? That makes sense to me. I think a lot of Asians connect to black culture for basically the reasons that the listener is describing. Basically, like if you're in a marginalized group that isn't well represented in culture, you get used to see trying to like read yourself into mm -hmm. like the culture that you receive. I mean, another part of it might be like proximity, like a lot a lot of times like POC neighborhoods are like, like they live near each other. So you just pick stuff up. Mm -hmm. uh, so, there, I mean, there's that element too. But I think, I mean, I definitely think. I think there's also like proximity with color too. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> did I ever tell you this story, Andrew? What what story? One of my colleagues um, <laughs> at work, I could tell that he was Asian, but I wasn't sure what country his people were from. Uh-huh. And I forget how it came up. I think he said that he was Asian. And I was like, oh, like what country are your people from or something? And he said, guess. And I was like, <laughs> this is going to go did good. You say yes. <laughs> it felt like a setup. Like I thought he was saying yes, that he uh -huh. was Asian. And he was like, no, guess. And I was like, um, well, you're a brown Asian. <laughs> <laughs> Because he's he's dark, you know, yeah. I mean, he's like uh, Johnny's complexion or whatever. And yeah. I did guess the right country. I think he's Filipino. Um, but I, I've noticed that browner Asian people mm. really connect with black culture. And I think it's because they have such a distinct difference from whiteness mm. physically. Yeah, no, mm. no, that definitely makes sense to me. It could be all of that. And exploring those connections is part of what we're doing here. Uh, including in this episode. So when people come to this country, uh, they don't always connect to blackness. Mm -hmm. A lot of times they might come here and instead try to embrace whiteness or uphold white supremacy. The reason that I was kind of thinking about this is because a buddy of mine uh, was hanging out with another parent because their kids were on like a play date and she was a Latina and then she started like saying some stuff about like other 
immigrants and against even like other Latinx immigrants. Mm-hmm. So he was like, what am I supposed to do in that situation? Was he white? Yeah, he's white. Okay. And, and I was like, well, like you definitely don't want to be in a situation where you're a white guy explaining to a brown person their experience. Right. You know? Yeah. But then again, like, so part of it also depends heavily on like your relationship with this person and how like, I, so I wasn't exactly sure what, like what to tell him. I don't know. What do you guys think about that situation? It definitely depends on the relationship. A white woman was the first person to tell me that I can't be racist because I'm black. But we had that type of relationship for her to just like immediately call me out on like a kind of linguistic um, nuance. Mm. And she was like, you're black. You can't be racist. You can be prejudiced. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. so it's certainly a relationship thing. But I honestly just feel like. Just suck it up. Like, don't say anything. Mm -hmm. I I'm with Beth on that. Like that seems so complicated like yeah i can disagree in my head at that mm-hmm. point but it's, it's a pretty mm-hmm. fraught situation to be yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah because you, like, you don't want to be the white guy who's like you're wrong because of these statistics right right um i mean having said that like as the child of immigrants i can definitely relate to the situation of hanging out with other with immigrants who are kind of trying to separate themselves from like other immigrants or those people for a lot of immigrants proximity to whiteness is proximity to to power and Mm -hmm. and opportunity Mm -hmm. and i think that's not just true i mean that's true for for people of color of, of all kinds i think um basically like if you can distance yourself from other brown people and try to grasp the power that whiteness affords you you take that opportunity And if that means like shitting on other people, like that could, that's part of the package. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think um, it's easier for me to feel more gentleness or more um, empathy towards like um, immigrant communities, folks in immigrant communities that are super Mm -hmm. anti-black because I recognize this as an act of survival now. It doesn't make me feel good, but it certainly makes me feel more empathetic. I mean, I was going on rants for days about how like other POC people are are like are not black and they just don't get it. I think you had to call me a couple of times. (laughs) (laughs) Was this on Twitter? Yeah. Yeah. What were the circumstances? What were you saying? What were the circumstances around that? I think an Asian person was being really shitty to me. <laughs> and I was just like, wow, like, oh, yeah. you're really trying to act like you're here for anti-racism. But the way you're being shitty to me mm-hmm. is fucking racist and misogynist as shit. Mm-hmm. And if I see you, I'm going to slap you. Like, <laughs> like, that's basically the energy that I had. Yeah. The thing about white supremacy is that it creates a hierarchy of power that is mm-hmm. that is that's real because it's socially real mm-hmm. you know and what it does is it sets up different people groups against each other mm-hmm. in order to maintain itself right the thing that i think is really tragic is the fact that a lot of asian immigrants came to this country um coming from countries that had their own history of struggling against white colonialism mm-hmm. because in order to get ahead in those countries like their their home countries it helped to be more white 
It helps mm-hmm. to have a white religion, to play a white instrument, to have a white Western education. Um, and if you had those things, you would get an advantage over other people. Mm-hmm. So like you, they carried on that same mentality when they came to America. Mm-hmm. Like, how can we be more white? Because it makes sense. Exactly. Because it makes sense. Because white people have built a world in which it makes sense. It also doesn't feel as um, frowned upon. See, I'm not Asian. So you can totally be like, chill out, Bethany. Okay. Stay in your black lane. <laughs> but like, it doesn't feel as frowned upon by the Asian community. Like, I can remember people like teasing me for sounding like a white girl or like my mom, if I didn't want to be in the sun in the summertime, my mom being like, mm, the blacker the berry, the sweeter the juice, right? Like, uh-huh. these immediate um, responses to black folks wanting to be more white. Yeah. It's it's immediate, almost immediately, right? In some in some families, mm-hmm. like um, frowned upon. Like you're black, you need to, and you need to recognize that, and you need to stay there, right? Mm-hmm. And I wonder if part of that is survival. Like I don't need this young black kid thinking they have any access to whiteness, mm-hmm. but part of it is like black pride, like yeah. black power type of yeah. thing. I don't. I is it like that for Asian people? Definitely not. In fact, I feel like my parents have pride that they are less Asian than other mm-hmm. Asians. Like mm-hmm. that they that they were Christians when they were in Taiwan. Like they had already begun that process of divesting themselves of their Asianness and embracing whiteness. Mm-hmm. And they look down upon more Asian Asians. I, I don't mean to call out my parents completely. Like, because it's not just my parents. It's like this is endemic in the culture. Mm-hmm. But it's like Asians that are are Buddhist or that are like do like do more asian stuff are somehow like their family's not as good you know they they mm-hmm. don't come from as good a place hmm. it's like uh, whiteness is the emblem of sophistication right. and if you don't adopt these white things like christianity or i don't know i'm again i'm not asian but mm-hmm. other cultural culturally asian things then like you're less sophisticated yeah Yeah, definitely or something totally what you just said beth though is really interesting about um that the enculturated like black people wanting to avoid being associated with whiteness is both like is not just a matter of pride but also a matter of survival Mm -hmm. can you say more about that yeah i need to know that i'm black Mm -hmm. you know like (laughs) like it it behooves me to recognize first and foremost that I'm a black woman, I'm a natural hair black woman, I'm a plus size black woman, and I'm a dark black woman. So when I show up, people have expectations from me and I maneuver the world. And I'm actually starting to explore and challenge this more um, of how like, because of the way I present in my black body, I'm constantly trying to make white people comfortable, but that's an act of survival. Like fully recognizing my blackness and all of the things that come with my blackness keeps me safe and helps me maneuver white spaces. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Having said all of this, I don't mean to say that upholding white supremacy is only something that those other people do or something like that. I think upholding white supremacy and divesting ourselves and our thinking of white supremacy is something that all of us are doing constantly. 
Because mm-hmm. um, white supremacy is the norm in the yeah. world, right? Yeah. So I think most of us don't even know that there is possibilities or a world outside of this. And we do want to talk about that more. But first, I'd never know how to transition us into the BIPOC business break. And you at this point, it. I've fully committed myself to just saying BIPOC business break. I'm Thank fine you, with Andrew. It. Yeah. I think it's clever. All right, Beth. So, um, who do we have to thank today? And this week's BIPOC business break is Black Mermaid's Bath and Body. So Denise Zanu started as a kitchen chemist, making natural products for coworkers, friends, and family. Using her knowledge of herbs and aromatherapy, she crafted creations that were healthier for their skin and elevated their emotional well-being. So years later, uh, Denise focused her passion and drive to launch Black Mermaid's Bath and Body. The company's purpose is to help people have healthier, beautiful skin naturally. The Cleanse Me Bar is great for teenagers and adults with acne. And the Lemongrass and Clove Body Bars use essential oils, antimicrobial, uh, antifungals, and all of that jazz naturally. So what we're going to have happen this week is all of her um, hand sanitizers and I believe bath products are going to be uh, 10% off for us. Oh, her wellness line, right? So that's sanitizers and body bars are going to be 10% off. The coupon code is called BIPOC and the discount code that you'll enter at the end of your purchase is SBLM and you'll enter that for um, 10% off. So that SBLM stands for Stay Black Little Mermaid. So go to blackmermaidsoaps.com. That's blackmermaidsoaps.com, B-L-A-C-K-M-E-R-M-A-I-D-S-O-A-P-S.com for your discount, S-B-L-M. <laughs> what are you laughing at, Chris? <laughs> yeah, what are y'all laughing at? I'm laughing at the way you spelled two letters at a time. I thought that was funny because I was like trying to spell along and getting lost. <laughs> um, someone was, t- I was telling somebody about our discount code and I, they were like, you know, you have to use that discount code for every single one of your sponsors from now on. And I was that's like, BLM. Yeah. And I was that's like, that's true. That's true. That's true. But yeah. I'm, I'm okay with that. It's, yeah. That's a great discount. Stay Black code. Little Mermaid and also like support, support Black, Black Lives Matter. Matter. So yeah. That's awesome. Oh, Nice. Yeah, right? Um, Okay. So we were just talking about different ways that POCs and immigrants uh, and um, non-white people can uphold white supremacy. I was just thinking about how, um, like, in the Asian community, how proximity to whiteness is something that's really valued, and anything that's not that is is looked down upon. And another example mm. of that I was thinking about is the fact that um, the idea of being a fob or fobby, F-O-B, fresh off the boat, mm. uh, is like not a thing you want. And the, and um, and it's really linked to like those people aren't assimilated and assimilated and being assimilated is good. And there's mm-hmm. like a value judgment there that's actually based on like whiteness. Mm-hmm. So... What are some other examples of how non-white people can uphold white supremacy? I mean, 
Over the past few weeks, Beth, I know that you had some pretty strong reactions to certain prominent black people and charges of anti-Semitism. Yeah, for sure. So a few weeks ago, Nick Cannon, who, by the way, I am really surprised I never married him because (laughs) when Drumline came out in seventh grade, (laughs) I just knew that was going to be a thing for us. Um, But it worked out because he's an (laughs) anti-Semite. So a few weeks ago, um, he, uh, I guess a interview um, with a very prominent rapper resurfaced of him speaking to how black folks are the real Israelites and how, um, you know, kind of Jewish folks have just taken that from us and we need to recognize our real place in the world and that we're really chosen by God. And I'm saying we're because I'm a black person as well. Um, and he also went into discussing these ideas of Jewish people trying to take over the world, um, Jewish people really like owning and monopolizing all of the wealth in America and any sort of idea that speaks to Jewish people being sneaky and trying to take something from us is white nationalist rhetoric. And it's so interesting to me how particularly black men feed into white nationalist or white supremacist rhetoric Mm -hmm. as a means of gaining access and power. Yeah, it's interesting because like we're at this a couple of prominent people have have been accused of that. I mean, two weeks ago, Deshaun Jackson for the Eagles, the Eagles wide receiver, uh had some anti-Semitic stuff on his Instagram feed and that kind of there that I feel like that was like at least for me that was with that that was the thing that kicked off this conversation and then recently in Philly uh the president of the NAACP of the Philly NAACP was called out for um putting some anti-Semitic stuff on 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 his Facebook page I mean where do you think where does this come from Beth I'm, have I you think looked, it comes yeah. from a place of desperation uh-huh. I really do I'm eating candy. Sorry, y'all. No worries. (laughs) But I think we're at a place in America where black people are over and over again seeing the ways in which our country treats us like we're completely disposable. Mm -hmm. And we're desperately grasping for power and value and trying to place, you know, anti-black... I don't even know if it's anti-blackness. We're trying to locate the resource of our woes. Mm. And in that, we're locating people that white nationalists also indict, right? Mm. Because Mm. that's easy. That's what we see. That's what's convenient. And like, there are issues between black people and Jewish folks, right? Like a lot of white Jews do uphold white supremacy. Mm. Let me not say a lot. I have encountered white Jewish people that uphold white supremacy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the issue is their whiteness, not their Jewishness. Mm -hmm. If you are grasping for power by indicting a Jewish person for their Jewishness, that is wrong, right? Like that is not it. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure why people are getting so distracted other than desperation. Mm. Jewish people are an easy target because there's already a lot of rhetoric. There are already like conspiracy theories out there. Right. right. Um, and so that's that just... That we e- can easily access. Right. 
Like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It is the Jews doing, you know, whatever. I have heard that before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It we seems got... like they're latching on to it. Yeah. I think that's interesting, Bethany, what you just said about, like, hostility. It, because, like, historically speaking, there was a certain amount of solidarity between black people and Jewish people in the 19th century. And then in the 20th century, Jews kind of became more white. Um like as a historical mm. like thing and i don't want to discount the fact that there are like black jews mm-hmm. i mean for yeah. instance all of the jews in ethiopia um but like i wonder if like that's also an, an additional source of tension i don't know that I'm they just, had access to whiteness i mean do you think that's i get mad at people that get to be white all the time yeah i only get to be white over the phone <laughs> and then when i show up there's so much disappointment there's so mad this resume says beth so pissed <laughs> i'm like i am she she is me <laughs> but yeah i think what i have experienced is some of the most hostility from communities who weren't always white right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I feel like I'm indicting so many people in this um, <laughs> in this episode, but like Italians can be really racist. Mm-hmm. Like I remember growing up and knowing that South Philly wasn't for me mm-hmm. or certain parts of South Philly weren't for me. I mean, I still um, feel that way. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, and I, a part of me thinks that that comes from a place of we've finally gotten this whiteness and the best way to perform whiteness, and I said this earlier in the episode, is to, is to be anti-black. And I mm. sometimes feel like communities that didn't always have whiteness overdo it with the anti-blackness mm. as to gain whiteness. Yeah. Mm. Almost like that kid that was a nerd And then when they got cool, they were super mean to the other nerds, Mm. right? Like they overdid it. That's kind of what it feels like. Like it can be taken away. Mm -hmm. And I have to really fight for this thing. So um, I think hostility towards white Jewish people can come, particularly in urban communities like New York and Philly, Mm -hmm. can come from a valid place because of their whiteness. Right. Not their Jewishness. Yeah. And that's an important distinction. Sure. Like there is there are historical reasons for this tension is what we're mm-hmm. saying. Like mm-hmm. the, the like there's there are historical reasons for like the fact that there's tension between black people and Koreans in mm-hmm. like L.A. or even in Philly. Like mm-hmm. I didn't know the story of the older Korean woman shooting the 15 year old girl until re- like recently, like a couple of weeks ago. Mm. And she only got five years. Yeah. Right. That was just, uh, in the it, prior to Rodney King, you mean? Yeah, like okay. in 92. Yeah. Like there was an incredible amount of tension between the black community and the Korean community mm-hmm. because, like, like, historically, Koreans have, like, at recent immigrants, they've opened up, you know, convenience stores and other stores yeah. in black neighborhoods and that is that's created tension and mm-hmm. like there where do you, where does the tension come from though like what is the experience between those two communities i think frequently the tension comes from the fact that like koreans i mean just, i'll just say like asians have they've had the capital to start these businesses mm-hmm. and because like there are these two different people groups living in the same place like there's also some colorism and prejudice on on the part of like the asian business owners mm-hmm. where they've also absorbed these ideas of like black people being criminal like crim- the criminality of black people mm-hmm. there has been tension over like the chinese corner stores have like the bulletproof yeah. glass, bulletproof glass right. right with the 
Asian store owners saying like this is for our protection and for black community members saying like this is insulting. Mm-hmm. So it's complicated. Mm-hmm. And it is really complicated. Yeah. And, and really white supremacy is at the root of all of this complication. Yeah. Right. I mean, I feel like white supremacy is like the grandfather and then all of these other things like are the seeds of mm-hmm. that. You know what I mean? Like colorism, patriarchy, I feel like is like a, a stepson of white supremacy like the Mm -hmm. way i think i mentioned this earlier in the episode too but the way black men uphold patriarchy and misogyny as a means of upholding some sort of power and accessing power Mm -hmm. it's just interesting to me how all things lead back to white supremacy but folks don't see that Mm -hmm. earlier you were saying anti-semitism can be an easy thing to grasp as a way to get closer to power Mm-hmm. I mean, are you saying like the way that men uh, of all colors grab misogyny and patriarchy? Like, do you think that's another? Is that another way to grasp power because Absolutely. because they don't have as a reaction to not having power? Yeah. Well, I think it makes sense for me to expand on what I mean by my how I define whiteness mm-hmm. and thus white supremacy. So, whiteness to me, the model of whiteness is being a man, is being Christian, and is being straight and white. Mm -hmm. Those are the people that have the most power in our country. And those are the people that have set the power structure. And everybody is seeking the same power and access Mm -hmm. as that one particular person. Mm -hmm. And anything any structure that keeps people who don't fall in those four categories away from power are thus um, like white supremacist structures as well. Sure. So I think a lot of men who are not white, but identify with everything else feel like they're close to it. Mm -hmm. So they have to uphold the thing like patriarchy or misogyny that hopefully could get them one step closer so does that did that explanation make sense yeah i think so andrew you still there okay yeah i'm waiting i'm giving you a chance to say something chris (laughs) i you were just blinking at us sorry (laughs) i um the explanation totally makes sense just as like asians exhibit anti-blackness as a way to try to and also anti-asianness you know Mm-hmm. as a way to divest themselves of those things that are bad and take up what is good or what is central like this thing is in the like at the top and there and you'll step on anybody you have to to get there mm-hmm. um it's interesting the first time i experienced an asian person being anti-asian i was like what the fuck is this it was a woman uh-huh. speaking to dating Asian men. Oh. And like, she didn't have an explanation for why she didn't want to date other Asian men. Uh-huh. But she kind of just was like, uh, I don't know. I'm not usually attracted to them. And I remember thinking, wow, that is so weird. Yeah. I love black men. Like, mm-hmm. white men chase me around. And I don't, now I got to reconsider that I'm getting older. But <laughs> I might have to start dating white men. But at the time, I think I was like 24 or 25. I remember feeling so weird about that. Like, how could you not like somebody that looks like your father? 
Right. Um, yeah, surprisingly common attitude among Asian Americans, and it speaks to just how like cultural attraction is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which say could... say more about that. Well, I mean, I think you guys have just both hit on it. Like it's it's the intimacy version of the power grab, um, mm-hmm. and it's and and because black men don't represent power they're also not attractive it's kind of how i'm reading it oh asian men and black men don't represent power yeah. so i'm gonna go to white men because that's who who does and it's, or and it's like and it's not probably at a conscious level but mm. it seems like yeah, it's in there it is. and then the culture reinforces it like black men are fetishized mm-hmm. so i don't feel that so much for black men like okay. the idea is that black men are more like sexually um virile what does mm. that word even mean did i use it correctly yeah you did no that's right yeah. okay yeah um, and asian women are fetishized right, right. and right. that like that has and also being fetishized is not privilege like we should no. acknowledge that because i there are a lot of asian men that are bitter against asian women for being sexually desirable as if like as if it's a good thing for people to fetishize you and it's mm-hmm. not like there that that it's is its own form of oppression yeah yeah um but yeah yeah the culture does dictate what's attractive mm-hmm. and who's attractive mm-hmm. growing up i feel like you know being closer to white um has always been a thing so like growing up i used to get teased for being dark skin a lot now I feel like it's kind of my trademark. Yeah. Like when people refer to me, they always call me the dark skin. When you say you're getting um, teased, teased by like other black people, other dark skin girls, bitch. <laughs> mm-hmm. You as crispy as me. <laughs> it was always. It was never light skin girls. Mm-hmm. It was always other dark skin girls. I have a distinct memory of this girl saying to me one summer, <laughs> um. You get blacker every time I see you. And this and I'm 30 years old. And this was the first summer that I said to myself, you're not going to avoid the sun and claim that it's because you you break out. You do break out, Mm. but you can put some sunscreen Mm -hmm, on. mm -hmm. You need to face that you don't like getting darker Mm. in the summertime. And you're going to go out every day and just get darker. Mm -hmm. I'm 30 years old. That girl said that to me when I was 12. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, but that's totally a great example of what we're talking about. Like, there is tension within your, within your community, black people mm-hmm. and black people. Because that's the, anti-black as fuck. Yeah. yeah, and the source is, like, the fact that, like, what is at the center, what is desirable is light skin, because that's mm-hmm. closer to whiteness, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Chris, I know you're you're kind of on the outside looking in. I am. And your family is, like, uh, on the outside looking mm-hmm. in. So, like... Aggressively, though. (laughs) So, like, how do you feel about, how do you feel about, like, POC people who uphold white supremacy? Like, what's been your experience on the outside? Yeah, so we're, like, these are, the the conversation we have had, I I call the Candace Owens effect. Um, (laughs) Yeah, they're, you know, the, the spectrum of people of color is certainly not monolithic. And there are people with all kinds of political values um, there are there are lots of black people who have conservative views. Um, they're easy to find, um, and among them is Candace Owens, who is is a figure that my family and I are talking about right now. And I'm I'm trying to approach this with some 
um, graciousness because I know they're listening. <laughs> mm. um, and I want to keep those conversations going. But right. the um, – so, okay, so Candace Owens um, – I'm not going to not gonna, you can google her um and and find exactly the kinds of things I'm talking about but the essentially the the conversations we're having right now center around her statements about black lives matter and about George Floyd um specific conversations you and your family are having well and actually the the content of Candace Owens's that I'm uh, that I'm now referencing is is these is her talking about current events that center around the uprisings, the demonstrations that were kicked off with, with George Floyd, um, but certainly have a lot more to do with just all the deaths caused by police. In any case, um, there's certainly within the black community, people who are like black lives matter. doesn't make any sense. All lives matter. There are, there are black people who are also saying that like, these demonstrations are um, nonsense, and they're just they're just yeah, violent. They probably ain't got no Lowry's in their cupboard, <laughs> yeah. and they probably don't put no garlic powder in their food. What's a Lowry? It's, you don't know what Lowry's it's, is? It's seasoned. Seasoned salt? Yeah. Oh no, I don't know what that is. It's a delicious seasoned salt. <laughs> in, okay. In, in any case, the um, where where I come at this from is it's still a pocket of voices that, that centers around values that the white people in my family already hold. It's not research. It's just an echo chamber. Um, they're not going out of their way to listen to a different point of view. They're actually just finding someone who, um, who's black, who sounds just like they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're saying your experience of POC that uphold white supremacy is, that these voices get amplified by 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 people who are looking for somebody else to justify their viewpoint. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I don't know I don't know what Candace Owens's background is. I I'm not going to like I'm not going to come down that hard on her. It's just that when when you hold these views and when you're a public figure, there's an element of danger to re to to being reposted when you're oh, yes. when you're a black person saying conservative things that um, that derail conversations about the deep oppression in this country caused by white supremacy. Um, the denial of white supremacy does not erase white supremacy. It just obfuscates it. But it's still there. Also, like, I don't know. I need to work out my issues with other women. I tend to be way harder on women than I am on men. So I'm thinking of men that I've made excuses for and easily called <laughs> victims. Mm -hmm. And I'm struggling to do that with Candace Owens. But she is a victim of white supremacy. Like she is the um, embodiment of internalized white supremacy, even honestly down to the way that she dresses, you know, like really. Yeah, down to the way she dresses and styles her hair. Like, I don't know. It's all, it's weird to me that she has a perm. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, you don't see black women with permed hair that often anymore. If you do, you know, that's fine. I'm not indicting you. Mm -hmm. But like, I, it kind of says something to me. Yeah. Mm. Um, The way she dresses and doesn't like, I don't know, like wear colorful clothing or you know what i mean like mm -hmm. 
she looks like the girls that hung out with white girls in high school and acted like us black girls didn't like them. Mm-hmm. But it was it was really you trying to gain access to power even at like 14 or 15. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Right, right. Like you knew who to hang out with to gain power. And I see that all up and down in Candace Owens is that like she's doing this just to gain power. And like white supremacy has told her that this is a good idea. So even though she's the fuck annoying, she is a victim as well. Mm. Yeah, and I would. Um, I mean, I like there. Are, she's not alone. There are there are plenty of, and it seems like there's there's certainly an overlap around wealth or the um, or the pursuit of it that like lumps in black mm-hmm. people. Um, there's there's plenty of there's plenty of actors. There's plenty of it. It just seems like Terry Crews. What's that? Terry Crews. <laughs> yeah, Terry Crews among he them. He turned the word coon into like an acronym for, let me find it. Yeah. So, okay, here we go. Uh, Terry Crews turned coon into an acronym. Conquer our own negativity. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what was he thinking? Yeah. Did he know we could see that? Does he know how <laughs> black people already like to talk shit? And then you give us something to talk shit about? Mm-hmm. People have been grinding him up on black Twitter. Mm-hmm. It's hilarious. Yeah. But again, he's probably a victim of white supremacy. Mm. Well, he's got he's got something to hold on to now. Like he's got something to protect, right? He also takes a different stance of like, he's an all lives matterer. Like, let's just kind of. Oh, right. um, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's kind of his thing. Like, his thing isn't lambasting black people. Mm-hmm. It's let's uplift black people and let's uplift white people. And black people, you're not being nice to white people. Mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of his mm-hmm. approach to it. Yeah. More than like Candace Owens is aggressively um upholding white supremacy through the through the Violently. through the means of respectability in some senses right like the dress yeah uh, right but i mean what you said is important because what we're saying is these celebrities or other prominent people or just poc in general when they lean into respectability that is a grasp at the the, the things that we're talking about right. which is the centrality of whiteness right mm-hmm um, I do. Th- I want to. I'm, I'm thinking about something that you said earlier in the conversation, Beth, where you said you're more sympathetic toward uh, POC who are doing these sorts of things because you understand that it's an attempt to. It's an attempt to seize more. To it's an attempt to liberate themselves. It's an attempt to liberate themselves, and it's an attempt to be safe. Right. And I, I have to intentionally frame it that way mm-hmm. to keep me from just hating every other person of color, too. Right. I think that's an important way to look at it. The Like, these ways of grasping at white supremacy are attempts, even though they're wrongheaded, they're coming from a place where people are trying to get more freedom for themselves, where they're mm-hmm. trying to resist oppression. The only mm-hmm. problem is that their way of resisting oppression is oppressing other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I'm thinking about is what howard thurman writes about in jesus and the disinherited which i actually just read i had never read it before i need to um but his whole thing is 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 looking what the question that he tries to answer is what can jesus what does jesus have to say to people who are oppressed 
Um, and he's not really interested in the same way that James Cone is in the meat and bones of liberation theology. I, I feel like Thurman is more interested in how can the oppressed seize freedom without giving in to the things, without turning into the monsters that op- oppression wants to turn them into. Mm-hmm. Because what he talks about is how like oppression makes people afraid it makes people deceive themselves and other people. It makes them hate other people. Mm-hmm. That's kind of... So, I mean, what do you think of that? Like, how can we resist and liberate ourselves without relying on the kind of resistance and liberation that would turn us into our oppressors? Because, like, when black people are anti-Semitic, it is an attempt to liberate themselves. Mm-hmm. But the tool that they're using to liberate themselves is oppressing other people. Like when Asians are anti-black, they're trying to liberate themselves. But they're doing that by using the tools of oppression, which just continues the cycle of oppression. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I guess what I'm saying is like, how do we empower ourselves without turning into white people? <laughs> <laughs> I think we have to do what we told white people to do in the last episode and take a leap of faith um, because we don't have any other examples of power. We have to consider that there is a reality that does not look like the only reality that we know Mm. and work towards it and trust it. Something about something about that question. and, And you guys tell me how you feel about this. Something about that question feels innately physically dangerous. Interesting. Um, why? Because the the act of being yourself in a white supremacist context, the the act of not um, not kowtowing in any way to to that sort of power grab, um, makes you vulnerable. Am I wrong? Yeah, I see. I, I see what you mean. Because the the typical tool that tool that we think of when we're talking about liberating ourselves from oppression is using the tools of oppression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, you oppress me, so I'm going to oppress you. Yeah. But what like, the, what we're talking about is in order to break that cycle, in order not to become white people, how can we resist without using that? What Howard Thurman says is that ultimately the tool is love, and that's what Jesus mm-hmm. teaches us to do. But it's also um, resistance. Like love as resistance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've just been thinking about this because I feel like we've kind of, in the past, we've been kind of dismissive, dismissive uh, about pacifism or about ways of resisting that are nonviolent. Mm-hmm. we've always been like yeah we believe that because we have to <laughs> <laughs> you know we'll be passive if we got to yeah but like i've i've been thinking a lot about but after reading howard thurman i think i'm much more on board with this idea that like if if we resist like first of all i'm, I'm still on board with the idea that i don't want to take anything off the table mm-hmm. in terms of what oppressed people can do to liberate themselves but i do Mm -hmm. think like unless you break the cycle of oppression um what you're what what's going to happen is that you're just going to end up becoming becoming the oppressor you're just going to end up becoming white people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's there's always a new white people every couple of generations uh what bethany said having the imagination to imagine something completely different. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the police are a good example of this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like we've been stuck with this idea of policing for so long 
and all we can think of in order to get rid of crime is using the violent tools of the police. But what does it look like to create a different society that doesn't that doesn't involve just beating the shit out of things we don't like? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It takes a leap of faith. And I think it can it takes considering who Jesus really was. Mm-hmm. So in this ending white Christian America class that I'm taking, they frame Jesus as being much more relatable to like black people in urban areas than anybody else. And they even ask the question of like, white people, do you act, do we have to relate to Jesus? Because the Jesus who existed was a traumatized brown man. I I said this in the Mm -hmm. prayer on Sunday, Mm -hmm. a traumatized brown man in a Roman empire, um, empirically occupied land, right? Like Jesus was probably trying not to make eye contact with Roman soldiers in the way that I try not to make eye contact with the police. Mm. Um, And that Jesus was also working for the liberation. Like Jesus was a community activist. Mm. You know what I mean? Like he was working for the liberation of so many different people. And you see that in the way that he related to people. And you, you see him kind of be a jerk to the Canaanite woman, but you also see him work towards reconciliation with that woman very quickly too. Mm. Um, So I think Jesus is such a beautiful example of what it looks like for a person who is walking with trauma Mm -hmm. um, to work towards the liberation of all people and to sometimes flop through it, but Mm -hmm. still be brave enough to move through it. Sure. Yeah. The way that Jesus manages that, I love that. I love in the gospels, people don't highlight this much, but Jesus is always like kind of, uh, he's often hiding. He's often like sneaking off or he's always like, don't tell anybody what I did. Or he's always (laughs) like, doesn't announce where he, cause he's like, he's like, like he's trying to stay. I bet he's trying not to die too early. Yeah. He's trying to like be strategic, Mm -hmm. which I appreciate. Like as an activist, like he's, He's trying to play his card. He's trying to play his cards right. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus would have definitely text on signal. Yes. <laughs> uh, I love that. Yeah, he would have. He would have been on his on signal uh, with his twelve disciples. Then a different signal with his bigger circle. He would have set like a thirty day retention period. Wow. There's a reference here. <laughs> signal is this new app that like is supposed to be safer. Mm-hmm. I don't trust the shit. Like, it's I feel not, like all of it It's been around for a little while, but yeah. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, but activists now, love Signal because it activists like- Activists fucking yeah. love Signal. And it drives me nuts mm-hmm. because sometimes my friends will text me on regular text and then on Signal and I lose track of stuff. And I'm like, I swear you said something to me, but now I can't find it. It's a yeah. rabbit hole for me. But I mean, let's look at, looking at the example of Jesus, like Jesus is, is surrounded by people who are insisting that he like, they understand that he's there for the resistance. They mm-hmm. understand that he's there to overthrow oppression. But mm-hmm. all they can imagine is the ways that they know about overthrowing oppression. Mm-hmm. They're like, Jesus, when are you going to do to the Romans what they did to us? Right. You know? Right. Um, and Jesus, uh, he tells them like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to die and rise in three days. And they're like, all right, that's an interesting metaphor, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> um, they yeah. probably thought it was like some art piece. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this, this is what I mean. Uh, like, w- w- the oppressor still has the tools of violence in this, in this equation mm-hmm. where you are demanding you, your 
you be recognized in your full humanity and you're not going to attack with violence mm-hmm. that's so dangerous yeah. it is it's uh it's it's terrifying and it is um and i mean it should never be taken for granted this is probably as close as we're ever gonna get fully advocating nonviolence. i don't know um <laughs> The one thing that I do want to, the one thing that I want to end on is, uh, in in my in my progress through the Torah. Um, Andrew, you are so cultured. One day, maybe I'll be half as cultured as you. I don't know. I just read the this Bible. Just, this man just said, "In my progress through the Torah." That was a I'm, that was an in Deuteronomy phrase. Because I talked about Exodus last time, and now I'm going to talk about Deuteronomy. Because this struck that because this hit me when I was reading it in the part of Deuteronomy where there are all these rules to live by for the Israelite people. Um, God says, do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. And later on in the passage, it says again, remember what, like, don't oppress, don't oppress foreigners. Don't, Mm -hmm. like, leave some stuff for, like, for people to take in your vineyard, because remember you were slaves in Egypt. That is why mm-hmm. I, co- I command you to do mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like, I, I think that is a charge for persons of color. Remember you were slaves in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Like remember where you came from, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, as we are more liberated, that's how we avoid becoming white people. Remember mm-hmm. you were slaves in Egypt. Well, remember mm-hmm. where you came from. Remember when you were not on top mm-hmm. and treat others the way you wanted to be treated. Mm-hmm. Then this man's preaching. It's totally an argument for intersectionality. He right here in the middle of Deuteronomy. Why should you not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice? Why should be ni- you be nice to widows or strangers? It's because you were slaves in Egypt, mm. and I think we should remember that. No oppression intimately. Yeah. Yes, you know. So mm-hmm. like that's why. So for Asians, like remember you were you were immigrants too. You were mm-hmm. you were you were worked to death on the railroads. You were mm-hmm. barred from this country. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt. For black people and like queer intersectionality, mm-hmm. like remember what it felt like to be discriminated against. Remember what it feels like. Remember, you were slaves. Remember, in Egypt. you were slaves in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Right. This is a charge for all of us as oppressed people to remember and when and we were slaves in Egypt. And, yeah, and, and connect yeah. to each other's mm-hmm. oppression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really important. So. Oh, that's a sermon. Johnny's probably going to preach that. Yeah. Well, he can't have it. Andrew just did it. <laughs> no, Johnny, it's yours. Take it. Yeah, no, that was, that was a that word. That was good, That was though. a word. All right, Obama cool. got me earlier today. Now you... Now I know. You know. Oh, yeah, Andrew. with, uh, oh, with the funeral goodness. service. Cool. All right. Um, so the last thing we like to do is talk about what we're into. Um, I'll kick us off. I've been, um, I've been playing a, a new game on the PS4. It's called Ghosts of Tsushima. Um, it's about... <laughs> It's it's about a samurai, uh, and it's a lot of fun. Also, it's got the it's got an all Asian cast, which I really enjoy. Also, like in this pandemic environment where like I can't actually practice kendo, like with a sword properly. Give this is a little bit of kendo methadone mm. for me. <laughs> like, it's getting it's getting me through a little. If I can see my little character swing nice. a sword. Uh, Chris, what are you into? Um, I really enjoyed. Um, an episode I listened to recently. A, a friend of ours and our on our team recommended this um, this podcast. Ninety nine percent invisible um, ran this episode about um, the Freedom House ambulance service. It's episode four hundred five. It's amazing, and it's it it. I think it bookends nicely the conversation that we've had about defunding the police. Um, 
because it talks about how the how the modern day EMT um, came to being, and it was in Pittsburgh, in a black community. I, mm-hmm. I like I didn't know that like up until the seventies, if you were injured in your car at your at your home and you needed an ambulance, it was going to be the police who picked you up. Um, and so these this like black force of of medically trained individuals like just came through and really challenged um the police in pittsburgh and you can imagine how that went but today we have them to thank for emts who are far superior at saving your life than police so that's a conversation about defunding police right there nice beth what are you into so I am into the the book, The End of White Christian America by Robert P. Jones that discusses how um, Christian America, white Christian America has slowly been dying for about the last 20 years. Or I'm sorry. Oof. You know what? It always kills me that we're in 2020, <laughs> that the 80s were yeah. 40 years ago. Uh-huh. What I actually meant was the last 40 yeah. years. Yep. Um, but it feels like the 80s were only 20 years mm-hmm. ago. So I, that's it's how been, I do the math. Um, it's been a really interesting exploration that has me leaning against describing myself as Christian anymore, because I think it's really hard to separate Christianity from white supremacy. Um, so I've been leaning more into calling myself a Jesus follower, but it could also just be semantics. So that's what I'm mm-hmm. into. Definitely worth a longer yeah, conversation. So. Uh, special thanks to Luke Bartolomeo, our communications manager, and also Jared Selby, who does our theme song. We're hoping to be able to thank Joe Mahoney again sometime soon. We're working out what that might look mm-hmm. like. We'll see. Yeah. And with that being said, if you want to talk to us about how you're relating to Jesus, the Bible, and anti-racism, uh, shoot us an email at circlemobilizing@gmail.com. at gmail.com. So with that, stay black, Little Mermaid. Little Mermaid.